Hey there and welcome. Are you ready to put your digital marketing on steroids? Well, you've come to the right place. This is the Impressive Digital Marketer Podcast. Digital marketing runs through our veins. So listen up to get some seriously impressive ideas for your business. Let's do this. Hello and welcome. This is the Impressive Digital Marketer, episode 31. My name is Russ. I'm a strategy director here at Impressive. Uh, You've probably heard my voice a few times if you've listened to this, but uh, I've been here with Impressive for a couple of years, worked in the digital space and in sort of sales and marketing for about 15 years as an agency. So Impressive is the agency behind this podcast. We really have a a specialty in e-commerce. So that's a, a type of business that we work with really regularly and the types of campaigns that we build. We've won some awards in that space. Uh, In the strategy team where I work, we actually get lots of questions from startup businesses, from established e-com brands. So the concept for today's podcast, getting the most out of your e-commerce store, is really about answering those questions. So it's those really common questions which we get from businesses both established and brand new. And in terms of actually answering those questions today, we're going to have someone, uh, one of our senior account managers, Jonathan, how do I say your name? Is Salomon? It's Solomon. 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 Imagine they're O's, but they're A's. Ah, okay, cool. There we go. Yeah. So I've got Jono here on the podcast. Uh, interestingly, we just found out he's actually done a heap of podcasts as well. And it's the first one that we've sat together on here for yes. Impressive, which is cool. Yeah, it's the first time I've been on this one. Uh, oh, is heap- it really? Your first one yeah, here as well? Yeah, first one on here. Um, a heap of podcasts is probably blowing it up a bit. I'm yeah. up to four. <laughs> um, so not as prolific as you are, Russ, but, yeah. but getting there. Yeah. Uh, and I suppose it's odd to be chatting to you about e-commerce without clients in the room as well. So. Yeah, it is. But it's funny because I get the questions, you know, um, sort of when they're thinking about becoming a client and they become a client. And then obviously you're the one that's servicing them once they're on and then, you know, helping execute on the campaigns as well. So you're actually seeing the answers in action. Yeah, so. absolutely. Um, and, and seeing the effect of, of what we can do, which is great. So might just before we roll in, given this is your first time on, on the Impressive Digital Market, I just maybe a bit of um, Q&A on yourself and let's let's sort of get an understanding of what you've been doing in digital. How long have you been in this space? Uh, I've been in this space about five years, yep. uh, originally on the content side of things. Yep. Uh, came in hot as an account manager about two years ago, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. which was a huge, really, really steep learning curve, but really, really enjoyable at the same time. How did you find that going from uh, the creative content side to then being client facing and, and relationship managing? Yeah, look, I love that's what I wanted to do. Loved going in and actually having an overview of how everything was going rather yep. than managing uh, one part of a strategy. Uh, at the same time, you know, it took a lot of getting used to. And I suppose some of the things we'll go through uh, in a little bit, they, they mean that you've got a lot of balls in the air in, in order to deliver on everything. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more attention to detail. Um, during your day to day, so you know, big learning curve in uh, in getting organised and yeah, yeah, being able to juggle a lot more, uh, and also though being able to communicate the the end outcome. That's where you, I reckon your content background helps with that, like because you are you're like you're having had that sort of written communication, then having to verbally communicate it or even emails and stuff. It's got to make it a bit of a leg up, bit of an advantage. Yeah, I think it. I think it did. It helps me, I guess, write conclusively in emails and be really outcome based. Yep. So be able to explain, you know, if X, then Y. Yep. I think it's really difficult when you're a bit of a digital marketing nerd like we are to get really bogged down in the reads. And a lot of business owners that we speak to, they need a why. 
they don't need a hundred different ways that we could do it. They yeah, just yeah. need one. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so you know, I guess one of the key things when you're uh, when you're doing content or, or writing copy is to say the most that you can in the least amount of words. And I think a lot of clients would want that as well. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think you're right. It definitely has helped. And in terms of your experience with ecom, like what? How, how many ecom brands do you reckon you've worked with over the five years you've been in digital? Oh, probably seventy. Wow. Okay. Cool. That was some a rough the, guess. Some of the brands that you've worked with that people might know. Uh, Sharon. Yep. And Sharon uh, cool. Spalding yep. was a big one. Marameco. Yep. What was that last one? Marameco. Okay. Yep. Yep. It's probably another another one of the larger ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, Reed Cycles. Cool. Uh, right here at Impressive, which is yep. a really cool one to work on. To click. Uh, menswear and then you know a lot of smaller e-com businesses as well so i've Mm -hmm. sort of seen everything from startup to established businesses and i think the funny thing that you find is that the challenges are quite similar the differences in your ability to execute them and having to be a little bit more agile sometimes as well yeah having different media budgets to work with that you can actually read insights from to execute exactly right Alrighty, so now we're going to go through the common questions that we get asked. So a lot of this is from um, myself and the strategy team at the Coalface and a lot of it's just from you know questions we get on social media and stuff from, from um, clients and prospects. Um, so I'm just going to roll through some of these, Jono, and you can tell me you know how you uh, answer these at your end in terms of managing those projects and getting them to get results. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so a really common question we get is – and I have to qualify all of these with the fact that we are going to be talking about businesses. Some of them have got like an average transaction value of $50. Some of them might be $500. Some of them might be luxury products. Some of them might be, you know, uh, automobile products. So we're going to have to be a little bit generic with this, but you might have to go, okay, well, for this type of business, this is better, et cetera. Yep, got cool. it. All righty. So what is the best uh, content management system, CMS, for my e-com store? Short answer, Shopify. Uh, especially, look, Anywhere from a startup to a medium to large business, Shopify lets you be really agile. It's the easiest content management system to work on in terms of uploading product feeds and it has the easiest integrations. So uh, whether you're integrating your Facebook marketing, um, your Google shopping feeds, anything like that, it's the easiest end-to-end solution there. So it lets you spend less time with developers. It lets you spend less budget with developers, which means that you've got more budget to actually spend on media, on -hmm. content production, and anything else you need to actually get your brand out there. Cool. So I would always recommend Shopify. There are a few instances with uh, really large businesses where Magento just has to be the solution. Can you talk me through Shopify Plus versus Magento? Like why one would go with one and why would you... Why one would go with the other? Because Shopify Plus is really trying to pitch itself as that, you know, alternative to the enterprise e-com. Yeah, absolutely. Businesses. So, look, Shopify Plus is probably getting there. I think a lot of the time with Magento, it's more the large amounts of data that it can handle. Yeah. And that it's not self-hosted. Yeah. So you can uh, be in control of how fast the website is. That's probably the biggest one. Mm. In the past, it was definitely more about how much data it could handle. Mm-hmm. Now they're probably neck and neck. What is an average conversion website? <laughs> what is an average <laughs> conversion rate for my e-com website? The average conversion rate of an e-com website is yep. 2.8%. That's the fast answer. It does depend. As you said, there are yep. some, I mean, if you're talking about a $10,000 item versus a $10 item, it's yep. going to depend. The interesting question to always ask when you're looking at that conversion rate is always what do you need it to be? What makes your marketing campaign viable? 
Um, and so I know one of the first things you guys talk about is on a really top level, if we bring X amount of traffic to the site, what is the revenue implication there? Yep. And that's the first number to run. It can be really simplistic. Yeah. And obviously you want to delve a bit deeper, but the first thing when you're looking at especially buying traffic is if we buy traffic at this rate yeah. and the conversion rate stays the same, am I actually going to be making money? And if not, have a think about your products, your margins, yeah. what you're buying traffic for and other ways you can bring people to the site. I think the other thing with conversion rate that people look at really simplistically is they go, well... The first thing I'm going to look at to increase my revenue for mm. the marketing that I'm doing is to increase my conversion rate. Mm -hmm. Now, yeah, that it's a great way to look at it yep. um, and it might be the first thing you look at. But what's really interesting is to look at, let's say 2.5% convert, let's up the amount that that 2.5% spend. So let your conversion rate stay the same, but increase your revenue yep. per people coming to the site is another way to... Yeah. actually get the most out of your campaign because if you've done if you've done it right and you know that that x conversion rate makes you a good enough margin to make good money then you're in a position to just scale it up exactly and it always comes back to you can reinvest that money in bringing yep. more people to the site i think that's really key the amount of businesses even really established businesses who come who i've spoken to who are just like we're getting lots of traffic we're getting lots of sales sites converting at x but for some reason like you know cash flow is huge but we're not making any money and it's just something as simple as that, you know, figuring out, okay, how much margin do I have? What do I need this to convert at for me to actually be making money? You know, yeah. my paid media and whatever else. Exactly right. And also look at if you're paying to bring one user to the site and they, you know, they become someone who converts and buys a product, there are much more cost-effective ways to keep that user buying from you rather than having to go back to market to market yep. to them again. Yep. So that's where you get things like email and, and personalization, which cool. we'll sort of dive into a little bit later. But definitely think of how you can keep your clients as well as how you can get them. Such an interesting point. We're going to come back to that because do you want to be paying for that click every single time once you've already got someone? Exactly right. Or do you want to have a more efficient way? That's good. We'll come back to that. Here's another one I get quite a bit. So everyone says social, especially we deal with lots of fashion e-com brands, you know, very visual brands. And everyone says social is, is just so important. But my social traffic is not converting. What gives? So social generally will be your lowest converting channel, quite simply because it's a push channel. Yep. So if you think about social versus search, which mm -hmm. is a lot of the time, uh, you know, the marketing stack that our clients have, um, social is you're telling someone about your product. They're mm -hmm. not necessarily looking for it. And so you're convincing them to click through to your site. It's often a branding exercise. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things you do want to look at, though, is what are you trying to achieve with your social campaign? So I think there are two types of clients that I see a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, and two problems that we solve a lot. One is the question that you, you know, what you said, which is, oh, I'm spending a lot on social. People mm -hmm. say it's important, but it doesn't convert very well. Are you using social to get your brand out there and bring people through to your site? If that's effective, then what are you doing to bring them back to convert? So one of the you know quickest bits of data that we reel off is people coming back to your website generally convert at double the rate first-time users okay yep so second thing that you find with people running social campaigns is they're using it purely as a retargeting exercise therefore it converts at a really high rate a lot of the time you'll find uh, agencies set that up really quickly as a quick win issue is you can't go back to the well 
yep. too many times. You're yep. not bringing people in. Mm-hmm. So break down what the goal of your social campaign is and yep. what you need it to do in your overall marketing stack. And then you'll be able to measure it in a much more effective way. Yep. So when you set your business goal, is your problem, many people to the site, none are buying? Is yep. your problem that no one knows your product? There are different ways that you'll operate that campaign. So work out with social where it sits in your marketing stack. It is super important. It's the best push method. It's the best way to reach people with a new product, but make sure that you've got other avenues set up to convert that traffic. Uh, another one I get is, actually, I just had this uh, today from a, from a prospect. They've installed Hotjar on their site just because someone said you have to get Hotjar. Ecom have to have Hotjar. So whether it's Hotjar or some other heat map type software, now they're just like, but I've got no idea what I'm doing. What, what, what am I looking for? Yeah, okay. It's an interesting one and it really depends again on how many products you have on the site. There are a lot of different ways that, or there are a lot of different assumptions that you make about a user. If you've advertised a particular product directly, and they're coming to your site and you're seeing a lot of clicks on the search bar, Yep. maybe that's not the right product to advertise to that audience. Mm. So Hotjar can give you, the one thing it can do is it can give you really good data on the UX of your website. You'll find, again, to use the search bar as an example, if people are using the search bar all the time, the, the front end experience is not right. Yep. They can't use it. They can't have a buying journey to actually get where they want to go. That's a good tip. So you might find things like adding filters mm-hmm. onto that page Um, To use an example, if I come to a page on t-shirts and then I'm jumping to the search bar, you may solve that by adding filters like size, color, cut, things like that, just right on the side. So I can quickly in three clicks, customize that page to find exactly what I want. You'll find also if I'm clicking on an ad for say a pair of jeans Mm -hmm. and then going to the search bar, Mm -hmm. again, maybe I'm not finding the jeans that I think I'm going to see on that ad. And so the actual campaign and landing page is off. The connection between the two is off. Um, There are a lot of other ways you can use Hotjar if you're finding not a lot of clicks down the bottom of the page, but Mm -hmm. there's important information down there, um, whether it be uh, information about free shipping, whether it be a selling point that Mm -hmm. will help people convert, move it up the top, move it to where the most amount of of clicks is actually happening. Let them see it early. They'd be the quickest wins that you'll get Cool. Um, through using Hotjar. Uh, another one here. This one might get a bit technical, but we do hear it a bit. Uh, attribution. What What is attribution? We, we've talked about, you know, my traffic's not converting and, um, you know, it takes, depending on where people are in their journey as to whether they're actually there to see your brand for the first time or to, you know, to transact. Where, where does attribution fit into all of this? So the first thing about attribution is it's probably the reason I get an hour less sleep every yeah. night. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of ways that you can look at attribution. I won't go into, I guess, Google Analytics attribution and the, the different models that you can use because that's probably a whole different podcast in and of itself. But the way that I explain attribution and the way that you should look at it probably comes back to what I was saying about social media and that conversion rate. Look at where each campaign fits into your marketing stack. Mm-hmm. So to give an example, if you've got a client that has an SEO campaign mm-hmm. and then a Facebook and Google retargeting campaign, the SEO campaign's f- like focal point in that, in that stack is to bring people to the site through search visibility for the product. Someone yep. types in t-shirts, they see your website, they click through to your site. Mm-hmm. That's its job. If the conversion rate on that campaign 
is fairly low, look at the effect that that campaign has on your remarketing campaigns Mm -hmm. because that will drive traffic back to the site through those. So if you start to, your SEO campaign starts to kick in and it converts at 1%, but as it kicks in, your Google remarketing, your Facebook remarketing convert at five and six, don't make the short-sighted decision to go, well, I've looked at all our channels individually and I spend you know, X amount on SEO and it only nets me this much in sales, therefore I'll cut it. I've seen it happen a lot yep. when the CFO sits in the, uh, yeah. the marketing meeting and he goes, get rid of that one. And, and quite what, often it happens with the social too because yeah. the social is not converting, but it's adding in all those inches to the conversion that just aren't showing up on that one pretty graph. Exactly right. And that's probably a better example with just talking about relationship between channels, which is what attribution means to me. If you're running social, big hot tip, have a look at Search Console and have a look at the uptake in branded traffic. Mm. So you're running a social campaign and let's say the, the return on ad spend through that social campaign is, is in the negatives. Mm-hmm. And you go, this is a, we're bleeding money through this campaign. This is terrible. Have a look at your organic conversion rate. It will most likely be climbing if you're targeting the right people. Yep. And that's because they're searching your brand. So don't necessarily judge the effect of the Facebook campaign just on the return on ad spend that you're seeing through your Facebook business manager account. Have a look at the uptake in branded traffic and you'll be able to, you'll start to be able to get an idea of where it fits. That's actually pretty much answered my next question, which was about measuring success when you're running loads of different campaigns, but that's exactly it. Like just understanding that they're all playing a part and knowing which levers are actually affecting which other levers. Yeah, exactly. And go into it with, a hypothesis. So an example uh, that I'll give you that I ran recently without going too in depth was we ran a, a top of funnel social campaign, just an awareness campaign yep. um, for weddings for yep. a catering client. Now, if you looked at the campaign on face value in business manager, it looks awful. What it was designed to do was to bring traffic to the wedding page mm-hmm. of their website. What we then saw was a lift in search for the company through Google Search Console and a lift in people clicking through to the wedding page. Now, it's hard to directly attribute that, but the hypothesis was before launching the campaign that that's what we would see. So we were judging the outcome based on that. So when you look at your marketing stack, develop a hypothesis on which channel will do what and look for a conclusion from it. That's probably the best way to manage each each channel. Good, cool. What this is a this is a um, one we get pretty often. What's a reasonable expectation for a return on ad spend, Roas? Oh, is this across your whole marketing stack or just social? That's a good question. Let's let's just stick to social because we've been on that for a little bit. Okay, through social, a reasonable. It's really hard. So, yeah. are you a new brand? Yep. Brand new brand. You want to be doing, again, depends on the product. It's a real, sorry, I'm stuttering. It's a hard, it's a really hard question to answer. Yeah, yeah. Because think about what you're spending the money on through this campaign. You're spending money getting people to know your brand. That's what you need to do. Yeah. Now, if you're a product that people need to trust, Mm -hmm. it will take a bit longer for that to kick in. Yep. If you're a product like a t-shirt with a great design on it, there'll be a shorter pathway. So 
look at your product and again, have a hypothesis before you go in on the buyer journey. Be prepared to be wrong as well, but also be prepared for when you set aside your marketing spend, be prepared for how long it may take. Here's the thing with that too. Like I've been thinking about this a bit lately. With that return on ad spend with a, a business owner going, okay, well, marketing manager, I want to, this is a brand new startup brand. I'm expecting in, you know, in the first three months, I'm going to get a return on ad spend of five, 10 times. For every dollar I put in, I get five to 10 back. I'm sure those same people are reading these articles out there that say, you know, nine out of 10 businesses are not profitable in the first year of business. Yeah. And they probably go, of course they're not. You know, there's all that investment that goes into the business. Well, guess what? One of those investments is your marketing. Exactly. So expecting such a hugely positive return on ad spend for a brand new business with no brand equity, it, it, it's kind of, it's just counterintuitive to the fact that people understand that new businesses are hard and there's lots of expenses before people know who you are and are actually customers. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's a good point that you make with it being an investment because we've seen both of us hugely profitable Facebook campaigns. But these are companies that have put the time in to get that brand out there. Now, just a quick one on funnels. Yeah. Everyone hears about funnels all the time. You need to invest in the top before yeah. you can reap what comes through the bottom. And that's the big, big, big thing that we tell our clients is you need to fill that funnel up first. Now, like I said, eventually we see them become massively profitable. You've got repeat buyers coming through now as well and you can invest back into the top and it will grow. Mm -hmm. That's the best thing about uh, a digital campaign as an investment. There's always the opportunity to scale it. But the answer to that question from me without looking at the business you know, as a whole is mm -hmm. how long's a piece of string, um, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. I know people want something a little bit more direct, but yeah. that's my answer. And I guess also if we had like a, just a, this is the number, well, we'd just be multimillionaires just, you know, pegging our, all of our savings and everything we've got to that number. Like it depends yeah. on the product, depends on the product market fit, depends on the time of year, depends on the availability of the product, how quickly you turn it around, the customer experience that you actually give someone once they become a customer. We can't control any of those things. Yes, yeah, there's just way too many factors in there. But everything we've spoken about before this, take into account as well, do all the little things. But when it comes to email automation, what do you reckon is the best program for e-com? Clavio. We love to work with Clavio. Yeah. It integrates really well with Shopify. Yeah. It integrates really well with HubSpot. It gives you great opportunity to segment your audiences. Yeah. Um, it's quite easy for designers. I've from what I'm told from mm -hmm. the design team, uh, which means that you can be really agile with how you use it. So yeah, short answer, Clavio. Give us yep. Clavio. Yep, easy. We've been pretty much every time I hear someone say they've been on MailChimp for years and they're having some issues with it, it's not integrating in with Facebook like it used to, that sort of thing. Just whatever you can do to get out of that and into Clavio, the sooner the better. So when we're, since we're talking about automation, like how does personalization factor into driving sales then? Oh, massively. It factors in a few ways, but the big one is you've got the ability to show someone products that they've already shown an interest in. And you've got the ability to show someone more of your products based on what they've bought. And that's the big one. So it, there's a term that gets thrown around a little bit. It's post-purchase optimization. And this is what I was sort of skimming over with the conversion rate. So if I come through to your site and I buy, say, a dry fit training singlet from you, you can assume that I'm probably interested in a drink bottle and maybe some socks. If you send me uh, a follow-up email saying, hey, thanks for your purchase, here's 10% off that you can get off these five items, yep. what you do is one, you make me feel warm and fuzzy and engaged with your brand mm -hmm. and two, you make me probably spend a little bit more money yep. and you get another one of your products through the door for me 
And then I'm more inclined to come back to you again and again and again. What you then do gather as well is data on which product works with which upsell email and you just keep optimizing from there. The other quick one with uh, personalization is you can do it in a way that a lot of people see data retention as being this dark, shady um, sort of industry, but you can do it in a really upfront way with your email pop-up. You know, you can ask them, what, what are you interested in? Why do you like this brand? And you can personalize that way as well. So, you know, you can make them a really, really long-time customer and especially through email to market back to someone who's already bought, mm-hmm. you're not paying for that click again. So you can spend that money getting another one through the door. So yeah. massive part of it as well. And I think people expect a more personal experience. I think they do. And I think that's a whole difference. Like what personalization should really do, and I've said this on this podcast before, is it's rather than serving ads at people, you're serving for them. Yep. You know, you're serving to them. You're actually giving them something which they've shown, the behavior has shown is going to be of value to them. Yeah, exactly right. And it's flipping the script. And we hear a lot of our clients say things like, oh, we don't want to be the company that follows you around or yep. we don't want to be that creepy company. But what you're able to do is curate their online experience. And so I use the TV example. Imagine if in the 90s when you were watching Seinfeld, um, you could choose all the ads in between in the ad break were all products that you like. I would take that. I I would say that that's a good thing for the consumer and it's a good thing for businesses as well. So it's the opportunity to curate that experience for them. And like you said, totally. not just throw ads at them, but yep. show them products that they'll probably need. Cool. Thanks, Jono. Well, that was um, heaps. We got through a lot of content there. Lots of really useful stuff for e-com businesses, digital marketers, whoever it happens to be. I guess a summary of the sort of key points there, like personalization was a big one and the way that we can really serve ads which are of value to people. Well, a couple of others in there. What do you reckon, Jono? Sort of yeah, I think ones. a couple of others look at when you look at your conversion rate and you look at the people buying from you, look at ways that you can increase that cart size. Always a big one. That revenue you can spend uh, bringing more and more people through to your site. That's that's probably a, a huge one for me. The big takeaway when we were talking about uh, how long, you know, for a ROAS and, and where it should be, look at what you need it to be and yep. communicate that to your marketing team and to your agency and to whoever you're working with. Communicate what that number is because... Yep that will then you know, let them know how to behave in structuring your campaign. So that's another big one. And, and measuring success, hypothesize, test, mm-hmm. hypothesize again. Always have a hypothesis when you go into any campaign. Yep. Be prepared to be wrong. But yep. if you don't have one, you won't find a scalable trend and you won't validate what you think or what you think you know about your yep. market. Such a good one. Don't just jump in the car and go, okay, we're going somewhere. Yeah, we'll get exactly. there. And we'll decide if we're happy if we get there or not. Like you kind of want to have a destination in mind and agree with someone that that's where we're going. So that's good. Thanks so much, Jono. That was awesome. Now, we do have actually an event coming up on personalization. So just sort of speaking to that, it's called personalizing the customer experience. So for anyone who's listening to this that is in Melbourne, Australia, this is on Thursday, the 24th of October. We've got a free breakfast. Uh, We've got speakers from Google and HubSpot and also from the dynamic startup Carbar. So we've got the CMO coming in to talk about, you know, how important personalization is in 2019 and, and what businesses and marketers can do to help increase that pe- pleasurable, personable experience. So uh, that was a lot of fees. We will pop a link to that event. Uh, 
to be honest, if you're if you're elsewhere in Australia and you you think it might be of value, just jump on the link, register your interest, and um, we'll follow up and see if we can get you a seat. Outside of that, uh, if you've got any questions or podcast topic ideas, please email info at impressive.com.au. Make sure you jump on, give us a five-star review, especially this one. Just mention Jono and myself because I think this is probably a PB for the show. Probably the best one we've ever done. I, so. I was hoping so. I was <laughs> a bit nervous, but uh, it's good. Yeah. I would um, expect no less. So, uh, yeah, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, wherever else. Otherwise, thank you for listening to the Impressive Digital Marketer. Cheers, Jono. Thanks, Russ. Thank you.